0: Welcome to the New Books Network.
2: Hello, everyone, and welcome to New Books in Anthropology, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm Reagan Gillum, a host on the channel, and today I'm talking to Dr. Damani Partridge, who is the author of the book Blackness as a Universal Claim Holocaust Heritage, Non Citizen Futures, and Black Power in Berlin, published by the University of California Press. Dr. Partridge, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you, thanks for for having me.
2: Yeah, I'm really excited to talk about your book. And so you are the author um, of of the previous book, Hypersexuality and Headscarves, Race, Sex, and Citizenship in the New Germany. And that was published by Indiana University Press. And in this book that we're gonna talk about today, which of course is Blackness as a Universal Claim, it, it also examines race and cultural politics in Germany. And so you have this long history of uh, doing this kind of research in this context. And I wanted to just begin by way of an introduction for you to ask how you came to study, you know, Germany anthropology and how you came to write the book Blackness as a Universal Claim.
1: Yeah, thanks for that question. Um, I guess Germany, I was a middle school student, you know, at Uh, in Ithaca actually. Um, and the German was just the best teacher. So I decided to take German. And then in high school, I had a friend who was going in exchange program. My mom said, Oh, you should do that too. (laughs) So I applied for rotary exchange and that was 1989, 90. So that was the year the wall fell. I didn't know that was going to happen obviously. But, um, so I ended up in Germany, um, exchange and I lived with three families. One was a Turkish-German family. that were two doctors. It was, it was kind of a middle-class family, a lawyer and a um, secretary. And then I lived on a, on a, far, on a farm, a uh, dairy farm. And what struck me about that experience is that even though I was African-American, I, I didn't have the same, I didn't feel the same kind of, like, exclusions or expectations or lack of expectations about blackness that I had felt in the US. But um <clears throat> There was a lot of animosity against Turkish people. Um, there was like there was graffiti all over that said "Turks get out," and like even my classmates would yell at people on the street saying, "You know, go home or get out of the country." And then when I talked when I lived with the Turkish German family, they also talked about those kind of experiences. So it was really um, to me interesting to see this kind of um, racism or racial exclusion from the perspective of someone who wasn't who weren't you know explicitly artic- or visually black. Um, but th- I could identify with that, but then and yet I was seen as something else. It seemed like I was kind of exceptional in some way because I didn't have the kind of same ex- kind of experience I was having in the U.S. Um, and so then um, I went to so then That was high school. And then I went to college uh, and then I applied for Fulbright and came back to Germany um, in 1995. And at that point, I lived with an East German family who had they, they had belonged to the party, actually, the East German, the socialist party in East Germany um but this is after the fall of the wall and then again they talked about their feelings of exclusion after the wall because they weren't their their experience was no longer valued you know even though they had this kind of responsibility before and so we really connected over that like, um even though again it wasn't blackness in the way that I had experienced it but there was this kind of um not being at the center of the side even though for them even though they had one, they once were um and so that year I applied, I was just signing, as an undergrad, I was a major in political science and music. Um, and but I, like, and I, I went to Germany then as a Fulbright Scholar to do a project on um, the experience of black Germans after the fall of the wall and thinking about the relationship between East and West. Like how did, how did they come together to think about blackness after the fall of the wall as black Germans? Um, and then I decided then that to apply to graduate school in anthropology at Berkeley. Um, and then that began the, that this beginning of this project of who's german who's germany who's futures and then that that gradually shifted into thinking about non the category of what i call non-citizens in my first book um and thinking about what kinds of how how does one become a non-citizen for whom who experienced freedom after the fall of the wall like the wall the fall of the wall was supposed to be this moment of massive global celebration about the I mean, what Francis Fukuyama called the end of history, which I mean, now we, no one says that anymore, but um, but there was supposed to be like this, like finally, like this liberal democracy concept had won and everyone was free, but then at the same time, people of color, Turkish Germans, Arab Germans, lots of other people were experiencing massive violence there were like massive neo-Nazi attacks. The, there was a, attacks in Vietnamese homes of former Vietnamese labor migrants in East Germany. And so I thought that I needed to expand this category um, to think about Nazis more broadly. So I, I started analyzing then what I called in that book exclusionary incorporation that people were accepted in the society, but then they weren't accepted fully, or they they had to. In this and that book is called hypersexual headscarf. So they had to either perform live up to these expectations of hypersexuality, and the headscarves seemed to be blocking that. So then that was also a problem for the the nor- the mainstream society. So I was analyzing that that process in the first book. In this book, I wanted to think about um, blackness and universal claim. I wanted to think about well, what does one do amidst that? Those kinds of exclusions. What? How can one organize oneself to to think about a different kind of future? And how does how does that happen collectively? Um, and for this, and, and part of uh, understanding how that happens, um, I went to a theater performance and I saw this theater um, called Theater X in Berlin, and I saw that as a as a space in which these practices of um, creating a different kind of possibility were being worked out. You know, kind of uh, in everyday
2: life. Yeah. Thank you so much for that. Um that that answer and so the book i wanted to start i guess with your idea with the idea that organizes the book which is you know blackness as a universal claim and you examine and theorize how immigrants in germany leverage blackness to make these claims and express their experiences with racism and i thought you know this is if this is interesting for many reasons. One of them is because we might think about, you know, whiteness is usually what stands in for the universal. Um, But so you offer us this, this other, you know, idea of universality. And so I wondered just if you could talk about then this idea of blackness as a universal claim.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's interesting. You're like whiteness. Yeah, that's right. Whiteness stands in as universal, but it's not, it doesn't call itself as as white though. So then it's like very confusing for someone. um, And, and, and harmful, you know, potentially for someone who thinks that they can access that universal as someone who's not white or someone who. Um, <clears throat> so then, for me, to think about, not necessarily to say that blackness. I mean, it's not clear that blackness is universal necessarily, but what was clear to me is that people are are, are seeing blackness as a possibility for political articulation. Um, and I an example following that was helpful for me because. <laughs> Not not only for me, but hopefully for other people as well, um, to think about what kind of political claims one can make about the future, about the, about the world, if one doesn't assume that that this liberal, dem- democratic, you know, version, you know, <clears throat> is going to make them free, you know, like so. Then um, to think from that position of blackness, I think comes with kinds of responsibility as well, um, but uh in this project i i mean I, I observe people making claims to blackness in the theater like by by thinking about uh, i mean in in berlin <clears throat> i think in other places as well you know muhammad ali is something that like lots of people wear even whether or not they're black as a kind of as a symbol of, of liberation um in the theater they had a little picket sign with malcolm x um they <clears throat> worked out and practiced through like the politics of angela davis um, and then they thought, and then they went further to think about the history of slavery and, and thinking about from that, if one begins to, to think about freedom from the position of the actual slave, which is, I mean, could be problematic, but at least it doesn't, it doesn't begin with like an assumption, like it begins with the actual slave as opposed to like, um, Susan Buck Morris talks about the metaphor of the slave and in, in the, you know, like in the theories of Locke, Rousseau and, and other enlightenment theorists. But if one thinks of the position from the actual slave and the effects of slavery... Um now and that, then the demands on what it would mean to be free would be quite different, and I think that that is the for me that if one is to think about any kind any form of, of freedom that that could be universal, it would have to begin from that kind of position mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. I like that um, succinct description that you give of that idea. Um, and then, because in the book, it's you divide the book into thirds, and the beginning of the third, you know, you the beginning of the book, you locate blackness as this occupation, um, with post World War Two, African American soldiers in Germany. And so, you know, it kind of answers this question, I guess, of like, well, where, where do these ideas, Where where's one locus of where these ideas about blackness come from? Um, and on page 27, I'm going to quote you because you write the figure of the black American soldier allowed German access to America, American capital and black possibility. And I wondered if you could just begin by talking about this idea of occupying blackness um, because that was one of your main ideas in the in the first part of the book. And, you know, how did this inform imaginations in Germany?
1: Yeah, thank you. Um, <clears throat> I think like this idea of occupying blackness is both uh, it's both actually happening, but it's also a, a kind of um, theoretical or um, imagined kind of possibility uh, or imagined reality um, in the sense that blackness is, is is there in the society, like in the cultural life of the society, you know, um, through music, through dance, through, and that's the one that's, that some people say, well, that's kind of American imperialism, but I'm not, I'm not focusing on that aspect, I'm not focusing on what comes in spite of the imperialism. Right. So that, when the Americans occupied after the Second World War, when they occupied Germany, also it's important to think that it's not just America occupying Germany, but it's also black troops, black, black, you know black people occupying Germany. And What difference does that make to thinking about blackness, to thinking about um, freedom, to thinking about the future? And I think that in Germany, it made a lot of difference in the sense that a lot of German, the Germans who had been defeated, um, could identify. With the black soldiers in a way that they couldn't identify the white soldiers because they also saw those as people who were being oppressed, you know, because they they knew about the civil rights movement, about Jim Crow um, in the South, um, and then there were there were kind of relationships, you know, where black troops would give <clears throat> these defeated Germans like um, you know things to eat, and give them. They were like impoverished also after the war, um, and they would kind of look after look after them in certain in, in certain ways, and there were also these kind of relationships. are these these i mean in my first book i talk about this but i think it's relevant also for the second book and this is there were these um dance clubs where there were only because the army also had segregation there there were only black men and then german women um white german women and so that this this emerged out of the fact that even though the us was claiming freedom or liberation liberating germany after the wall after the war um there were these contradictions, right? And this idea of democracy in the sense that it also included Jim Crow, um, and and Germans were aware of that. Um, so that occupation then created a different kind of, um, it, it sort of, it, it it nuanced this idea that, you know, like this idea of freedom that, that was gonna emerge or this idea of democracy that was that was supposed to emerge in the sense that the people being occupied could also see the contradictions vis-a-vis blackness. Um, And I think another important point here is that after the First World War, which Tina Kemp also talks about in her uh, book, Other Germans, um, the the French sent um, black troops also to occupy the Rhineland in Germany but those were seen at that point that that kind of that occupation was seen as a um, as a horror and there were those troops were accused as uh, were accused of raping german women it was seen as like you know it's it, it was like the ultimate humiliation just to to have these black troops occupy germany in that way um, but then that shifted with the with the american um, black occupation in the sense that blackness was then seen as a different as a kind of possibility um so I think that's when I'm thinking about occupation and blackness, That that's the trajectory I'm, I'm thinking about in the book.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is fascinating. Um, that's, it's really fascinating to think about that, too, because you bring up this idea of imperialism. But then what happens when, as you said, the occupying troops are actually black? How does that shift um, understandings of the U.S.? And what kind of what does that open up for people? Um And so in the, in the second part of the book, then you talk about, you give us like this context, I guess, which is the Holocaust in the memory of the Holocaust in Germany. And, and, you know, this seems really, really critical because of what it, you know, forecloses and opens up for, um, for immigrants in, in Germany. And so one of the ways you discuss this memory is through the Holocaust Memorial. And I thought that was really interesting because it, it, it links to some of our discussions about um, memorials and uh, statues in the United States and our current debates around monuments, race, racism, and history in the U.S. Um, and obviously this occurs elsewhere. And so, you, you know, you also, you know, come into these complicated issues through a monument in Germany. Um, and so how does the Holocaust Memorial attend to or not attend to racism and exclusion in Germany?
1: Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I was, that's a that's, that's a great question, and obviously, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to to um, fully address, you know address it adequately because I think there's a lot there. I mean, both in terms of the, how the U.S. does memory politics, how Germany does memory politics, and the relationship between the two. Like, I know that the <clears throat> the lynching memorial in the in Alabama, I think, was also inspired in part by the memorial to the murdered Jews of Europe in Berlin, um, because the memory culture in the U.S is is strange in the sense that even the like if you see the confederate army as as the defeated army you don't you don't necessarily see that in the memorials there's still a memorialization of that history um in a in a way that also erases the um you know um that goes along with it um in the german in the german context i mean what's i um part of what I think is important to think in, in terms of memory is the fact that that um, there was this, I mean, mass murder was a, was a central part of what was happening in the second world war. And it's critical to remember and critical to think about how one should never do that again. But the part of the question is, um, what is it that should never be done again? And to who, you know, so, um, and how, do, how does one, is that a, is that a, Particular, or is it universal? Or how does you know how does how does one think both historically, but also in the future, and thinking about what one shouldn't do again, and then um, or what what a nation shouldn't do again, or what a you know a a continent um, because the murder was happening across Europe. Um, So, for me, in the book, um, the, the the. I, I'm dealing with the fact that Germany, you know, because it's been able to create these memorials and think about critically about its history, it has, is it has taking on this teaching role of also teaching others how to remember, how not to do that again. And in particular, it's how not to do anti-Semitism, um, I think. But then that, that sometimes also gets expanded out to thinking about not how to do racism. But for the for, for, for Arab and, and Turkish Germans in particular, um, I found that in Germany, the assumption is that they're anti-Semitic, but also that um, they should also be accountable in some way for this for this memory, um, for a Holocaust memory, because of a, a history, you know, because of anti-Semitism, um, in, 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 in multiple contexts. But then, if 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 they're to be accountable, then how? What kind of? Um, to what extent can they also participate in this in the in the in the memory politics, but also in talking about democracy after you know? are um, talking about inclusion or talking about freedom in a broad and broad level what I found in, in the German context is that when people said that they were experiencing racism often that was when particularly when Turkish and arab Germans said that they were experiencing racism that was seen as anti-semitic because um the racism that Germans could fully focus on was the was the racism of the second world war was the racism of of mass uh, murder um, was the racism of genocide um so what for me was important in the book was to link that to and and then blackness then becomes a different kind of possibility because it, if you if you make claims to blackness or if you make a model of of countering um these experiences of exclusion that that are mar- that are modeled on other kind of on black struggles then it doesn't then one doesn't get accused of denying the holocaust in the same way um so in the book I'm trying to think these these histories these forms of memory these forms of mobilization together, and then think about, well, if one is particular, perhaps the other can be thought of as, as more more universal. And that, um, because Blackness, as first, first of this, occupi- this occupying occupation, or Blackness as an occupying form, and then um, through the claims to Blackness, um, it becomes a different kind of launching pad. Um, but I think that has to, that, I think it does have to be done in relationship to the Holocaust memory, because that's also part of, the reference when people are thinking about racism and particularly in the German context. Um, but I think that could also be, one has to contend with that also more broadly, I think.
2: Yeah. I thought that was fascinating in the, in the book because it's something I had never thought about or, you know, considered where it's like, what, what is it like then to live in like the afterlife of this other kind of atrocity and, and and you and you talk about this in the book how then the atrocities in the past and you know racism and exclusion are not are not thought to be happening it, currently it's something that happened you know in the in his, historically um, and that we need to move beyond um, and so when these people talk about you know racism currently it like disrupts these ideas um, of there's there's not a way to sort of conceptualize it um, within the idea of the Holocaust memory. Um, yeah, can I just add yeah. something
1: there? Um, I think, yeah, I think that's right. And I, but I think that increasingly there are—I mean, people have started to talk about colonialism too, or German colonialism in particular, which was kind of initially not was getting ignored, right? So that that so that the picture has gotten complicated. But still, I mean, it, I think it needs to get even more complicated in terms of how one thinks about racism now um, and who should be able to make claims to thinking about racism and 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 undoing it, you know, and how that um, so that. I mean that that's happening through this kind of activism that I was observing, um, uh, but it's still. I mean, I think there's still a lot a lot more work to do.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so um, I'm glad you said that, so we can talk about that, like what you were you know what you were observing and the young people that you were were, were working with, um, because you seem to you know accompany young people in these different uh, you know in different parts of the of the city. One time, like you, you go with them to the memorial. You're going with them to different, you know, excursions and whatnot. But you're also with them in these film projects and in the theater, and you examine how you know migrants mobilize blackness to make their claims through uh, theater productions and performances. And I think you're specifically working with the Youth Theater Bureau in Berlin, and you attend their rehearsals. And again, I'm, I'm quoting you, you write that the rehearsal space, quote, offered the possibility of to undo fixing, and that Blackness was a possible position from which one could no longer feel stuck. So Blackness seemed to offer, as you were saying, these activists ways to complicate the, the situation. And so I wondered if you could talk about that, um, you know, what you saw in these rehearsals and your ideas about it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I mean, I guess I went to a performance where I was really struck by how outspoken these young people were in the theater about their own situation in a way they hadn't, like, when I I did in mean, that first week I did research in schools and that kind of possibility or speaking in that way wouldn't really be tolerated, you know, like there was no space for young people in the school to express how they really felt, you know, um, but in the theater I saw like this that kind of spark and possibility and. Freedom and you know, like to to say how how one really felt and what one wanted to do about it. Um, and so then I and I said, well, where you know where is this how Where is this coming from? So then I went to the theater, which then was called Theater Bureau, um, Theater Bureau in Berlin, and then now like they're most the 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 they're most known by this their new name, which is Theater X. Um. And I so I went into the and they happened to be doing a play. Uh, about blackness about black power and someone said a young woman said you know you know we need to learn about this can you help us I was like well you know like that's not you know like it's not my expertise but you know yes of course you know I would be happy to so it was like so it was, it was my possibility of going into the theater and then they said that well, you, but you can't just observe you have to also act you know so that was a little bit intimidating but um, it it gave me access to thinking with them about the relationship between black power and their struggle and also what they might do um, about it. And then I also noticed that they didn't have to, they didn't have to have all the answers, but they could work out these things in the theater. Like they, they like through improvisational performances, which then became the play that they called um, black hair, Germany that they did at the end of the year. like, so I, I, it took like about six months. Like when I was in that, when they were doing that play to the end, like when they, I think after actually I came, went back to the U S and I came back and they then performed the, the, the play. Yeah.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail from accepting payments to managing inventory. Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system.
1: We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end,
2: what will I become?
0: Senwa Saga, Hellblade Two. Play it now with Game Pass.
2: Yeah, and that was uh, um, that was that was really interesting too. When you talk about the the young people and their, uh, uh, as you said, like this rehearsal became. I think you said the rehearsal like was the revolution. Like that was this critical space of uh, you know of them coming to, you know, coming to say whatever they that is they wanted to say. And in the book too, you, you continually do this. You're, you're careful to distinguish between appropriation and, you know, solidarity and maybe identification. Um, because we know, as you, as you said, they're, they're taking up these ideas of black power, they're performing them. They're not people of African descent. And so, um, you know, and so there's a way in which we, we know that blackness can be can be used in, in harmful ways, right, that are inappropriated, you know, by many different kinds of people um, in ways that are not is not necessarily one might say not acting in the interest of black people. Um, and so. And we know that anti-blackness can be rife in many different locations. So I wanted wondered if you could talk about then this distinction that you make um, between like appropriation and, um, and the solidarity, which I think is what you were seeing with your interlocutors.
1: Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I think appropri- appropriation goes with like sort of making, uh, like profiting from other people's struggle or, you know, like prof- profiting from black struggle without... Um, caring or, or, um, about black people, um, or, or, or performing, you know, in, in that, that in itself becomes a kind of a form of anti-blackness. I think, um, it's some of the people, there were black people of black African descent in the theater as well. They weren't the majority. Um, like one of the main actors was, um, from West Africa. And what struck me, you know, is that he came. Not necessarily thinking, you know. it wasn't clear to me the extent to which he thought of himself as black, but then blackness, even for him, became a, an important way of articulating any kind of possibility, right? Because for him, like he he didn't even have a, you know, he came to Germany without any kind of status, right? He had a, uh, so he was in danger of being deported. But then the theater became like they were able to make claims about his, um, his. He became an actor, and then because he was an actor, he became he got the he. The theater advocated for him to get the right to stay in Berlin. And then ultimately he could stay in Germany without having to do these other kinds of, without having to perform the other kinds of expectations, what I talked about in the first book, like of the hypersexual performance, which would then allow him to get married to someone who then could give him a status. Or he called, he talked about in the film that he made later, um, having a German baby, which then would give him some sort of marginal status, but it was in black. It was actually blackness that made his, this performance of blackness, this rehearsal of blackness and in the theater and then in everyday life um, that allowed him to find a way to manage his life in Germany and stay in Germany and claim right to that to that um, possibility. Um, yeah, so can you just remind me of the question? Oh
2: yeah, it was between the difference between appropriation and yes. maybe solidarity. Um,
1: yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that, um, and I'm not, I mean, I, I don't, you know, I, I think it probably can't be absolute. Like there could be, you know, and there were moments of what one might see as anti-blackness, even in these kinds of spaces. Right. Um, or there are ways in which black people might, might not feel completely comfortable at least, you know, um, but I think that, the, that attending to those, to those tensions is, is, is critical to, to avoiding the risks, dangers, injuries of appropriation. Um, yeah, so that's the kind of, and, and, and that's the kind of, so I, I, the thing that I, I mean, the term that I like even more than solidarity, because I mean, in, in, at one point in the book, I talk about like people claim solidarity, but actually um, there's still hierarchy often in these claims of solidarity, because the people are, the, the people saying that, well, we're in solidarity with you. There's like, there's the us who's in solidarity. We then still maintain our position of, you know, of, of, of being on top or kind of determining what the next move should be. So, I mean, the, the term that I like most is mutual struggle. Um, uh, so when that, when that struggle is thought of as mutual, then it becomes, then it shifts from, at least it, 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 it lessens the risk of appropriation and moves more towards a kind of mutual possibility into which one is then also accountable. To to black people to blackness to you know the histories of of slavery you know I think in um, not only in the U S but also in, in Europe which people often forget right it's not slavery is not just the American thing right it's it's like a it's you know it, even even chattel slavery right it relies on um, these dynamics between you know the other people have talked about between the the, the Caribbean the U S in Europe Europe and Africa. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, and you just talked about how one of your interlocutors, I think, what's his name, Mamadou, in, in the book, um, yeah. Yeah. where he, he makes a film. And that was another aspect of cultural production that you were looking at in the book. And you had this project, or you were part of this project called Filming the Future from Berlin. And um, so I, I had the privilege of being your colleague at Michigan. And so I also remember you talking about this like filming the future, I think from Detroit. Um, and so, you know, I think, so you've, I think you've done this project in different places and I wondered if you could talk about this project. I remember briefly talking with you about it in Michigan and it sounded absolutely fascinating. And so I wondered if you could talk about filming the future, um, you know, how it's structured and because I think you're actually, actually teaching people how to, how to, uh, you know, make a film. Um, and I think you've done this in the classroom. You've done it in Germany and the United States. I mean, this is, this is amazing. And so I wondered if you could just tell us about this project and you yeah. talk about it in the book.
1: Yeah. I mean, the, the project was actually inspired actually, well, at the same time as doing research for the book. Um, I, I worked with the theater acts and there was this other theater called Bauhaus Naunienstrasse, which was a, it's, it used to be a ball, a ballroom that was turned into a theater. It was on the street called naunin Strasse. naunin Strasse means street. So, um, it was another theater where they had a um, progressive uh, Turkish German director. Now it's, it's moved, it's become like mostly a, uh, a, a black, you know, a POC, black, they, I guess a BIPOC, BPOC theater, um, where they had this, this project called, uh, Academy of the Autodidacts. So like, uh, people, the academy of people teaching themselves, basically, you know, and they had this film project called News from the Neighborhood, where they would make films like once a month about. Um, they would pick a topic. Um, one time it was on blackness. One time it was on there was these, there were these murders, series of neo-Nazi murders where they uh, over they killed um, people, uh, Turkish Germans mostly over a decade, and, and one Greek person, one a Greek German person, and uh, um, a police officer. But even though these murders had had been Perpetrated by neo Nazis, they accused. They said it was a. It was. They called it the Döner Mafia. Like Döner is this sandwich that, that, that Turkish German shops sell. Um. They they so they accused the the people who are the victims of neo Nazi bonds of, of committing murders against themselves. You know. They said, so, um, that was the that was like one of the topics. So and then they would as part of that that film project there would be two mentors and then they would show the films in the month and the theater was always packed. So I was really I participated in that a number of times as I was doing the research for this book, and I was really inspired by that model as a way of thinking about the future of the city, and also bringing voices that are not usually heard into the into the discussion about how that um, future might be actualized. And so this this project, which I began in Detroit with a, a theater with a filmmaker from Berlin um, in two thousand fourteen, we wanted to do the same kind of thing in Detroit, where we were we would make it. Then it was over three weeks, and it would include people from Detroit and people from the University of Michigan um, making films about the future of the city, thinking about Detroit as a place in which is not like people don't think of Detroit as a valuable place from which to imagine the future often. But I think it's critical, right? If I'm thinking about, I mean, Detroit an 80 I mean, the relationship to this book is Detroit is also an 80% black city. Um, but to think about the future from the perspective of the people who are you know, some of the most marginalized is critical to thinking about any kind of viable future for, you know, at all, I think. Um, and so we, in, in that project we make, and which is also um, related to the, the project in Berlin "Filming the future from Berlin, which was 2015 was the so-called summer migration in Germany when there were a, a million Syrian refugees came to to Berlin um, and Berlin in that first iteration, the summer of 2015, also with the filmmaker um, from Berlin with whom we, I began the, um, Detroit project, um, um and, and um, Savannah Santamari was also one of the filmmakers who's been, who's been working with me on this for a while. In addition to Theater X, where we did the first project in Berlin. Um, the mostly Syrian uh, people had just come to Germany or had been there for you know, a short period of time, then also made films about the future, the city from their perspective. We call it non-citizen perspectives on the future of the city. Um, and then later, um, and so we showed we made those films in which people would ask their own research question and then they would then make the film about that question. And then we screened them in, in Detroit or Berlin and then most recently in Philadelphia. Um, and so we've been doing that since, you know, 2014, 2015 in Berlin and then last, 2022 in Philadelphia. And now we're thinking about um, how to how to uh, exhibit those films more broadly as a as a broader take on the, the future of the city from non-citizen, from black perspectives, as a you know, um, Particularly these these post-industrial cities where it's not clear how one should imagine the future, um, and where the the non citizen or African perspective is not normally thought about. So that Mamadou in the book um, made a film about his experience uh, of coming to to Germany, and then um, given that he's when he when he came, and I, I talked about this earlier, but when he came, people kept saying, "Well, when he asked, he asked me this too in the theater." you know, how am I going to stay here? I don't have a status. I don't have a legal status. And people kept saying, well, you can either get married to a German woman uh, or have a baby. Like, those are the two main main ways that we're telling him to stay. And he said, well, I don't want to do that. I want to, you know, I'm not ready to have a baby. I don't want to get married because he could see the problems with that too, right? That creates an, uh, that he wouldn't be, it would really be who he wanted to be in that condition. So he said, his solution to the film, which was called Change the System, you know. Um, so that was the... Uh, and that, so that we've been doing for a while, um, almost every summer now in, in Berlin and then in Detroit as well, and then once in, in Philadelphia.
2: Yeah, I liked uh, your descriptions of the films in the book because they were very, you know, poignant, very critical. Um, and then you also talk about the sometimes the responses that they elicit from the audience. It was, that was uh, a great section of the book. Um, So one of the reasons I was interested in your book is because I'm working on a project about how Afro-Brazilians take up African-American history and culture. And so I am really interested in these transnational flows of Blackness. And I think that they're really important because they carry these unforeseen modes of power that can be leveraged by others um, that one would not possibly previously have thought of. And so you talk about how, you know, blackness opens up spaces for non-black and black people in, you know, in Germany to find expression. And of course, you give us this like critical context in which sort of blackness makes this possible. Um, And so I wondered what you thought about like the particularity of African-American Blackness. And is, is there something about African-American Blackness that lends itself to universality or is it also Blackness beyond the United States? Um, so I just wanted to, to know what you thought about that. And then, you know, what, what are the implications that you see of your argument and, you know, what do you want people to take from it?
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, the, this idea that when one talks about Blackness or universal or global Blackness, that one's only talking about American blackness often leads. I mean, in some contexts that leads to people to dismiss it. They say, "Well, this is not has nothing to do with us." Particularly, people critiquing the use or invocation of blackness, I guess, are, are do, often doing that. Um, and then, and then it becomes like for scholars writing about blackness in other contexts, or artists trying to, to talk about blackness in other contexts, or activists trying to articulate blackness in other contexts, it makes the the struggle that much. It can potentially make the struggle that much harder. Like if it's not if it's seen as only American, right? So I think that even what pe- people perceive as American Blackness is, is already transnational, you know, like it's already, you know, like, like hip hop is not just American, right? It's also, it relies on the, like Caribbean sound systems, you know, like, um, like Brazil is a, I mean, like you're, I mean, you you can say much more about, you know, like the importance of Blackness in Brazil, but it's like, um, that has a huge global impact as well. So I think that um, there are a lot of America, because, Obviously, the way the American media circulates, and the, and also it kind of rebrands or repackages or, or appears to be only American, but in fact, I think it's already a, a transnational form um, that um, creates a, a transnational kind of possibility. Um, so I think it even so I think it should be taken seriously, you know, like um, and it should also then be thought of. But in being taken seriously, it also like it, its transnational dimensions should also be should be should be taken seriously
2: mm-hmm. yeah no i hundred I, percent I agree um and so I think that that is the uh question about the book and so we usually end the interviews with these questions of the future and uh, and so what you're working on next uh, you know do you have any upcoming projects or you know any other kinds of activities that are on the horizon now that the book blackness is a universal claim is out in the world
1: yeah I mean I do have a few projects like one is the thinking about how to circulate these films and thinking about um, like, I've been talking about like starting the, the uh, doing a, a book, kind of a, a multimodal book. So it's not really a book, but it's, we'll still call it a book. I mean, like, because it will work through the um, book publishing system. But to think about publishing, how to circulate these films and how to get other people to participate and also going to other cities, like perhaps Johannesburg in South Africa, um, New York City, you know, um, Mumbai in India. Um, to think about like the connections between these cities and connections between futures and 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 if there's a way of connecting futures or, or linking people um transnationally to think of collectively about futures people who know, aren't normally consulted when when uh policymakers or, or urban planners are thinking about the city or the future of the city um and then the other project that i've been working on a lot recently is this one that is on detroit um called, that, which the central question is how does how does white space get produced in a black city um, and thinking about the implications of that that kind of production on blackness and a black city and then on, on, on black possibility. Um, but then also thinking of Detroit as a, a space from which one should like a critical space from which one should imagine the future and that kind of future could be applicable then also in other other places.
2: Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, that really sounds fascinating and wish you um, the best as you pursue these projects. Um, I think both of those projects sound so rich. Um, And I I think the the film project is interesting in that I I 100% agree. As I was reading the book, I thought, oh, I would love to see these films. And so I know that there will be an audience waiting to to watch them. So that sounds um, wonderful. Uh, so thank you so much for sharing the book with us. I have been speaking with Damani Partridge, the author of Blackness as a Universal Claim, Holocaust Heritage, Non-Citizen Futures, and Black Power in Berlin, published by the University of California Press. Thank you so much for writing this book and for sharing it with us on the podcast.
1: Thank you. Thanks for your questions as well and inviting me to this conversation.